everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. It's Jen Hatmaker. Welcome to the show. This is the For the Love podcast. I am your very happy hostess and so glad that you're joining us today. And you are going to be happy that you are joining us today. We are in a series called For the Love of Parenting, and I have a real treat for you today. Our delightful guest is none other than Candace Cameron Bure. She, as you surely know, is an actress, a producer, New York Times bestselling author. You clearly, unless you've lived under a rock for 30 years, know her from a role as DJ Tanner on the iconic family sitcom Full House and now Fuller House, which we'll talk all about. She's also been in a slew of Hallmark Channel movies, and she's a former co-host of The View. She's a speaker. You may also remember she was on Dancing with the Stars, season 18 finalist, which we're also going to ask her about because that's super fun. Um, So Candace very famously took a break from her acting career to be a stay-at-home mom. I know that as we're in this parenting series, a lot of this sort of idea of being a working mom, being a stay-at-home mom, something in between, making those decisions, that is a conversation that is always in play. So we're going to talk to her about that decision um, and the reaction it received and what it meant in her life. So she's got a new book out called Kind is the New Classy. And in it, she talks about how kindness has been deeply modeled to her by her own mother and how she models it to her kids in our society where right now bullying is rampant and sometimes kindness can be misconstrued as weakness. And so um, she has so many interesting things to say, you guys, as a parent, um, as someone who was famously parented on TV um, and grew up in the spotlight. And so um, this is a really great conversation full of so many little nuggets of wisdom that you are just going to want to grab a pen. So Candace has three kids. And she and her husband live in LA and she is just an absolute delight. So you guys, without any further ado, please welcome Candace to the show. Okay, Candace, yay. We are so, so, so excited to have you on the podcast as part of our um, parenting series. Thank you for being here. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me on. So many of us have been a fan of you for so, so very long. And so it's been a blast to see you go, you know, from this awesome family that we all loved on TV on full house to now sort of the newest iteration of that. You're playing a widowed mom on your newer series, Fuller House. And I wonder if you will roll us back a little bit further and tell us a little bit about your parents, um, like the ones who actually raised you. Um, (laughs) and then what it was like to have really, I mean, all these extra parents, like bonus TV parents and aunts and uncles. I mean, you grew up with so many adults telling you what to do in your life. Yeah. Can you tell us like a little bit about your family and then your second family? Yeah, for sure. So, um, so my, my real mom and dad, um, I was born and raised in, in LA yeah. in California. And, um, my dad was a, public middle school teacher for over 35 years. He's retired now. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom uh, to us four kids. I have two sisters and a brother. And, um, you know, the whole acting thing, we kind of fell into show business a little bit. It was like, hey, we live in LA and kids do commercials here and they film TV shows and you have cute kids. Do you want to try it? (laughs) And so that's how it started. My parents had, didn't know anything about show business. We were kind of, I mean, just like a normal, regular middle-class family, like everyone else. And so that part, we fell into it and ended up loving it. And I say we, cause my brother's in it, obviously right. for those that know, that know him. And, um, but everything growing up for us, we weren't necessarily a Christian family, uh, that didn't really happen or start in my life until I was about 12 years old. My, I love my mom and dad. They're, they're awesome people and just raised by the golden rule and be yeah. nice to others, be treat others how you would want to be treated and work hard and 
put 100% into everything that you do, no matter what it is, and be courteous and polite to people. And that's, that's kind of what it was. I mean, that's so fabulous. And I, I believe you because I've got several friends that live in LA and kind of in Southern California in general, and you really can, like listeners are probably thinking you don't just stumble into show business. You kind of can. Like everybody's like, well, here's an audition. Maybe you should just drive your kid over and see what happens. It really does still go like that. It does, especially if you are a, a kid. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is kind of easy to stumble into it. Totally. So you started um, the show. How old were you? I was 10 when I started yeah. Full House, but I started acting at five. Yes. So those five years were a smattering of things, right? Commercials and other shows and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh Uh-huh. And so I was, as an aside on Full House, by the way, um, as you well know, the, the fanhood is strong with Full House. There are an enormous amount of devotees to this show. And in fact, I found an article, um, that actually ranked the stars of the show, all of you in terms of the most memorable hairstyles over the years. And I'm very happy to announce that you were in the top two. You were number two. And obviously John Stamos was number one. Wow. <laughs> it's you. It's you. I mean, you came of age in the public eye in the eighties. I mean, there's a right. lot of hair. There's a lot stuff. of hair. Yeah. Yeah. There's some wings going on over our ears too. <laughs> Remember I used to study your hair on that show <laughs> and do my, my darndest to recreate it. I mean, I can still do a pretty big hair to be honest with you <laughs> if, if forced. Um, so back, okay. Back on track. Um, I've heard you say before in interviews that you and all your co-stars had and still have really great relationships. I actually love hearing that. Did you, um, do you feel like full house did a good job of portraying like what a loving family could look like and the relationship between parent and child, but plus all these amazing kind of bonus parents in the picture, the friends and older siblings and uncles and aunts. And, um, I I just, I, I think what full house did for so many of us was give us this really wonderful family to love. And it was a family that didn't necessarily look traditional. And that was kind of important at the time. What's your, um, what's your take on that? Yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head. Um, so full house. Yeah. It did a great job of, of portraying a family that loved one another because that's what it was at the end of the day. And it, it was important that it wasn't a traditional family. And I've heard so many stories over the last 30 years from people having grown up from watching the show that maybe didn't have a happy upbringing and the show made them feel like they had a family that they could turn to in it every week and they knew things would be okay and it gave them hope. Or I've heard so many stories of from people that have untraditional families and they, whether it was having a grandma and grandpa raise them or to a same sex couple raise right. them, that they felt like they weren't weird because they saw a family on television that didn't look typical. Totally. And so those are, and that's what I loved about our show is that people genuinely felt loved by it and felt like, um, you know, maybe they wanted me to be their big sister or they felt exactly the way Michelle did growing up or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And even though everything was wrapped up in a bow in 30 minutes, it, right. it just gave people hope. So in that sense, I absolutely love everything our show has represented and I'm so proud of it and have always been proud of it. Mm. And, and I love that people that the front door was wide open in a yeah, sense it that it was just a revolving door. People came in and out, whether they were friends or family. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's the be- one of the best things about life is having those people around that come in and out because they influence us differently. They speak into us differently and encur- encouraging and, and help us to make decisions and choose our paths. And mm. it's a wonderful thing. And as far as, you know, I was thinking about the first part of your question, which I didn't really answer of having a second family of yeah. growing up with my television family. It was, um, I had the best experience working on the show because everyone I worked with was genuinely, they're great, wonderful, wonderful people. But I didn't, 
I didn't necessarily feel like I had other parents because my parents uh-huh. were so on top of things. And yeah. really working with Bob Saget and Dave Cloutier and John Samos was more like having a bunch of really crazy uncles around all the time because yeah, they definitely were not like the best parents. Parenting. Yeah, they weren't parenting. <laughs> they just, we had to parent them even as 10 year olds and keep them in line. <laughs> I believe you. Uh, that's so great. I think that's fun. I, um, I, I love hearing you say all of that. It's interesting because now, of course, in television, we see all sorts of programming that highlights and celebrates families like of all stripes and mm-hmm. they've come together in every way. But back then that wasn't really true. We, Mm-mm. that was, it was way more rare um, to see a family that had that sort of dynamic in the home. And, and yes, I agreed. I mean, obviously it was a sitcom that always wrapped it up in 30 minutes, but I mean, to the credit of the writers and and all of you who acted in that show, you also, I mean, you, you took a lot of things head on, like really important conversations and, um, what it meant to grow up and be a teen and have conflict. And, um, you know, I was, I, we paid attention to that too. You know, we, it was, it, you gave us, a lot of us permission to have some conversations that we weren't sure we ha- could have. Um, did, was anything that ever hard for you? Did you ever read a script and think, Ooh, this one's tough. Um, I think (laughs) this script never happened, but I do remember actually the writers asking my parents first, and then they talked to me about it. And we universally said, no, (laughs) it was like, Hmm. DJ gets her period. (laughs) Like, no, and my, even my mom was like, no, you cannot hard pass like a 14 year old or 13 year old child through that on national television. No. dying of course they tried of course of course they tried that one didn't make it but the rest were you know I think the most sensitive one for me at the time which everybody uh it's so well known they I mean people call it pulling a DJ Tanner at this at at this point in life is when DJ tried to lose weight in a week because she had to put a bathing suit on for a pool party and you know stopped eating and uh you know and then got and sick, got yeah. sick off the treadmill. But that one was probably the most sensitive for me at the time. And because I, I it's kind of mm. what I was going through, not that I was trying to, to lose weight at that time, but any, any young woman of is going to be self-conscious in some respect. And even mm-hmm. learning late, later in life, my, my best friend on the show, Andrea Barber, who plays Kimmy Gibbler, mm-hmm. you know, she was standing next to her every day. She was like mm. a popsicle just a bean pole yeah and so but I we've talked about it now as adults and she's she would tell me do you know how how insecure I felt at the fact that I Mm. was a bean pole and here I'm she's like everything just hung on me and I was just the skinny little thing so no matter what shape or size any young most young women feel insecure about their bodies because they're changing and um so that one was probably the most, the hardest at the time, but, but at the same time, I could still understand that I was playing a character. This is a script and I had words to say, and it wasn't necessarily me, Candace, and I could separate those two. Right. Right. Oh my goodness. I remember that episode just crystal clear. Let's go back to your mom. Um, I know you're really close with your mom. In fact, in your, your new book, kind is the new classy, which we're about to talk about. You dedicate the whole book to her, which is very precious. Um, I read a quote where you were talking about your mom and you said, I think my mom is fantastic and I hope I'm modeling much of the same behavior she did to me when I was a kid, especially her giving heart and helping those in need. I thought that was really a lovely thing to say about your Mm -hmm. mom and about her legacy. Um, tell us about how it's just interesting to think about her navigating, um, raising kids in Hollywood with these blossoming acting careers. I mean, you know, nobody sees that coming. That is not something you can really prepare for. There's no handbook for how to parent that. Um, and so how did she sort of, how did she keep everybody's feet on the ground? How did she model this sort of behavior that you honored her for. Um, cause I mean, I can see how the whole thing could just kind of float away from you, honestly, where all of a sudden you're just living in Hollywood world and celebrity world and, and just be kind of disconnected from real life. But it sounds like that's not at all the way she parented you. Yeah, it really, it really wasn't. And that was, it was both my mom and dad together because my dad 
being a, a, a public school teacher. It was so crazy for him. He would tell us all the time, like all this Hollywood stuff, it's just a, a big fairy tale. And it's like living in the puffy clouds in the sky and who knows when it's going to go away. So he had a very different mentality of like, this is, this isn't real life. And so hmm. although it could be a little bit negative at times, it was huh. a really wonderful grounded thing. And it gave all of us a perspective to make sure that we stayed true to the real priorities in life, which were, which for my family and what our parents taught us were always family first and friendships and hard work. And so my mom, even though she was on the set with us every day while my brother and I were working and, and managed all of that, because she really was like a, I mean, she really was a manager in a sense, even though she didn't have other clients other than her kids, but she did, she did so much, but she always turned it into, this is an opportunity that we've been given. This is a blessing to us. How can we bless other people? So as my brother and I were both on our respective television shows, mm -hmm. my mom immediately was like, how can we give back to others? She partnered up with Make-A-Wish Foundation or the Starlight mm -hmm. Foundation. We had, she brought sick children to the show every single week. My mom spent time with these families. Wow. My mom, and made sure that obviously they had the most incredible time at a taping, at one of the live tapings, mm -hmm. but my mom always extended that. She would invite families to our home to spend an afternoon with us. Sometimes these friendships, we still have friendships with many of these families and they, it's been wow. 20, 30, 40 years. And mm -hmm. that's just who my mom was always seeing the opportunity it could give her to bless other people. And, and mm -hmm. at times it would be like, mom, <laughs> I'm really tired. And you <laughs> right. keep like all these people and you keep wanting right. me to do this charity thing and that charity thing. Totally. Um, and yet, Oh, am I so incredibly grateful for it because that rubbed off on me. And that really yep. is all I want to do as, uh, as a, a, a woman now in my career. And also as a yeah. mother, you see the importance of it. And I'm so grateful for my, to my mom for that. I love that so much. I, um, it's, it's amazing to watch that imprint mm -hmm. in your life, in the life of your, the, your, your siblings. And of course your own family, which you're a, you went on to be a mom yourself. You've been married for 20 plus years, right? To yeah. your husband Val. Yep. Um, and you guys have three kids and you actually, I love talking about this. You actually made a decision in the early childhood years to sort of set your career aside for a while and really just dedicate yourself to being a stay home mom. And I just, this is a conversation in a lot of mom circles. And, um, I, I, I wonder, first of all, why was that important to you? What, like what went into that decision? And I'm curious what kind of a reaction you got from your, from your peers, from your representatives, people that were working with you at your career, your agents, your managers, I, did you get pushback? I'm guessing that you did. Um, and I wonder if you were afraid at all. Like if I, if I press the brake right now, I might not ever be able to press the gas again. Like, I don't right. know if there's a re-entry point. Hollywood is weird. It is fickle. Um, and so I, I would just, if you could talk us a little bit through um, that season in your life and what went into your decisions and what you're thinking. Yeah. I, oh, I would love to. So this I was married when I was 20 years old. I had my first baby, Natasha, when I was 22. And I had just come off one of the most successful television shows in history, yeah. virtually. And I'd been working my entire life. And so I knew that I wanted to raise my children myself with my husband and not have a nanny full time, but with my husband's job, he was a professional hockey player and he's retired now. But, uh, I knew that both of our jobs would be traveling jobs and mm. I couldn't just stay in Los Angeles or New York for my job. And with his job being on different teams during the NHL, it was a decision of like, if we actually want to raise our kids ourselves full time, right. one of us has to step down. And mm. I knew not only as a woman and a mother, but that that was important for me to do me personally. Mm. But I also knew that as a 
professional athlete, my husband had a limited window. And in a sense, if I could come back to my job, there was always the ability to because, you know, you can still be acting when you're 100 if you want to. There's always, you know. So I decided to take that break and be a stay-at-home mom. And it was really because I wanted I loved how my parents raised me and it was just important. I wanted to be the primary caretaker of my children. And, um, so, but it was a really difficult transition because I'd been working, yeah, my whole life and to be nonstop with adults. I was virtually, I was like an adult when I was 15 years old or 12 years old. And then I went to being full-time mom, changing diapers, making Mm breakfast, lunch, and dinner, driving carpool. And it was in the very beginning, I was like, whoa, right. this is really hard. I've made a but, terrible decision. Yeah, and kind of really boring. And right. uh, how many walks can I take? And totally. how many times can I make meatloaf and tacos and yeah. make it interesting? And I kind of drove myself crazy. And, and yet it's what I wanted to do, but it was a really hard transition and I had to surrender to motherhood. And it took me a few Mm. years to do that and really come to the point where I could feel confident about my decision and in myself, but the work that I had to do and my Christian faith impacted it incredibly. I mean, it was, it was everything that changed me into who I am today, as far as, as walking with the Lord and, and walking in my faith and wanting a relationship with God. It all changed because I made the decision to stay home, which then gave me the time to develop my relationship with God. Cause before that I really didn't have one with him. I just was a, a believer but uh-huh. by word, not by action. Uh-huh. And so it, ch- it really, it changed everything for me. And, but I still had to realize, and the work that I had to do was about becoming a, a ch- child of God and be uh-huh. and honoring my life before God and not before uh-huh. man, because all of my value and worth up until that time was really wrapped up in who I was as an actress because I didn't know anything else. And so to become a stay at home mom, I wasn't getting the praise. I wasn't getting the well done at the end of the day. And I felt Mm. like I, I had no value, even though I was raised wonderful kids and hope that they valued me, but you know, I had to change my whole perspective. So when I started having that relationship with God and seeing that like, Oh, it doesn't matter what my resume says. Mm. It doesn't matter how much money I make. It doesn't matter how many people compliment me. Uh, The only thing that is worthy in my whole entire life is to honor God with it because I'm going to stand before him when I die, not the world. Wow. Um, I love that because so many of us who had a career and then decided to stay at home for a season, it's just so identifiable. I remember thinking like just when you're neck deep in grilled cheese sandwiches and, Mm -hmm. and no, everybody is crying all the time and (laughs) nobody knows how to have a conversation. I remember just thinking I'm smart. Like I went to college. I, I used to be in charge of things. Like I, uh, uh, people used to think I was something. Um, and this is my life. How is this my Monday? Um, but I, I love what you're saying because it really does strip away a lot of the things we glean value from. And accolades. And I mean, I just, I, I don't know if I've heard anybody crystallize it in that, that clearly, um, that a really beautiful outcropping of that season was faith and Mm -hmm. identity. And I think that did you, did you develop that? Um, were you connected to church? Did you have a women? How did that begin developing for you in the, in the baby season? Well, I wasn't going to church regularly, but it was in thinking about how I wanted to raise my children and did I want my, the faith to be important is when I started thinking about it. So I did find a home church when I had these little babies, we were living in Florida at the time. And my husband at the time was really the same kind of believer that I was. We just had an understanding of God and believed that Jesus died for our sins, but it didn't go beyond that. And 
so I just pursued it. And once I found a home church, I started going every week. I was going by myself because my husband was on the road most of the time. And I would take the kids with me. And then in my community, I started becoming friends with some of the neighbors. And I know God just brought one neighbor over to me because we, it was the first time I was really excited about reading my Bible. Mm. And because it was like, literally like the veil was lifted. I started reading my Bible and understanding it for the first time. And it was making an impression on my heart and it was changing the way I was thinking. And it was, it just came to life. Mm. And I had met this neighbor who has really been a mentor for me. And at the time she was in her mid fifties and I was in my early twenties. And when Mm. she said, I see you have, you know, two kids. And I was seven months pregnant with Mm. my third. And she said, I just want to offer you help. And if you need any groceries and she was from Washington state, Mm -hmm. I had never met anyone that nice (laughs) in my life. I grew up in LA. So I totally thought she was weird. I'm like, I don't, people don't offer to go get groceries for me. So what what do you want from me? That's what I thought. What is your end game? And as we started talking, she mentioned something about God and I Mm. just grabbed onto her and I was like, I just started reading my Bible. (laughs) And we went into this huge conversation and I said, I really want to start a Bible study. And she said, oh, I would love to start a Bible study. I've been praying about finding some women in our neighborhood to start a Bible study with. So that day started the next nine years of my life. And I had Bible study at my house with, you know, anywhere between six and 10 other women every single week. Mm. And I grew so much of my faithful Bible study. (laughs) So precious. Yeah. (laughs) That, uh, that uh, feels real similar to about the season that I too kind of fell in love with God for the first time for my own self, not my parents' faith Mm -hmm. or not some faith that had kind of been handed to me, but in living rooms with other women like that in a small setting with just our Bibles on our laps, like, gosh, does this have meaning for today for our lives? And it Mm -hmm. did. And it does. I, um, obviously uh, your children, um, have appreciated that decision and the amount of love and energy and time you, you built into their lives. I came across a really sweet story recently about your son who turned 18, right? This year. Yes. And he wrote you the most lovely letter. And here's, let me just read this little bit of it for our listeners. He wrote, mom, I first just need to say, thank you. You have literally put your life down for me. You helped, encouraged, cared for, loved, worked, and have really done everything for me. I would be nowhere near close to where I am today if it wasn't for you. Oh. Mm, I have tears in my eyes right now. I don't think I've ever heard anyone read that out loud. Oh, oh that's so precious. I mean, that's our that's our goal. That's mom goals right there. That is what we want. That is what we want. I just think that is so meaningful. Was that so special to you to hear that from your kid? Cause you know, we put a lot of ingredients into the soup pot in, of parenting and we stir and we kind of hope it comes out, but we're just not sure. We don't know if it's going to take. Um, exactly. So, I mean, how lovely to have heard that from him. Yeah, it was it was such an incredible gift for me, for me on his birthday, for him to have written that card. And I, I cried into his shoulder for at least five minutes. <laughs> I bet you did. And I just couldn't. As the words continued to just sink in, I oh. cried harder and harder and harder. But, you know, I... It is, it's what you want to hear as a mom that all the lessons have sunk in and they get it. And while I I take, I mean, I say this without taking anything away from that moment, but say this as encouragement because Mm. I also have two other kids Uh and I would never expect to get that kind of letter. (laughs) So I don't doubt that my children love me any less. They're just different people. And Lev is one that feels comfortable mm. expressing himself that way and is sensitive that way. And it, but it, it really was a gift. And my other two kids have incredible traits and yeah. will do things in a different way. Um, but I, like, I don't want 
any mom to ever feel like, oh my gosh, my kid would never do that for me and Mm. feel like they failed as a mom because that's just not true. So true. You know, when I was reading that from him, it, it even struck me in a different way as a, as a mom, I'm going to have five kids, just a zillion. So talk about, they're all different. I mean, Mm -hmm. we, I for sure would not get love letters from all of them. So same, same boat, but it made me think as a mom of just, um, the power of, of words, like almost all of us would say how much we love our kids and how special they are and what we see in them and, um, the wonderful things about them and how much they mean to us, but it is easy to forget to say it. You know, we're just in the grind of daily life. All of us are, we're just trying to get to the end of the day, half the time and get these kids just with their feet on the ground. But as I read that, I thought it, it's powerful to say those things out loud, not just necessarily from a kid to a parent, which we would love, but as you mentioned, is not some sort of template that we can count on, but as a mom to a kid. Absolutely. You're so right. That just impacts them. And, uh, you know, we just, I just forget to do it. I'm a person who, who uses words for a living. And yet I, I forget sometimes to tell them my very closest beloveds, how precious and special they are to me. So I, um, I loved that from your kiddo, loved it. Hey guys, just a quick break to tell you about something I need your help with. Do you have a sec to help your sister Jen out? So I just got word that the For the Love podcast is in the running for the 2018 Podcast Awards. Love it. People's Choice Award. It's up for it, you guys. I can't even handle it. So since you are the same tribe that helped us cross the 7 million download mark last week, because you are maniacs, you're obviously the same ones who can take our little show right to the top. So here's where you come in. We just need your votes. That simple. The voting process takes like three minutes from start to finish. I promise. And so here's here's how to do it. If you'll just go to my website at jenhatmaker.com, click on the podcast tab, and pull up the transcript for this episode. It will have Candace's lovely face on it. And I'll have step-by-step voting instructions written out for you in plain English. It is so easy, literally three minutes. So voting's open through July 31st, and winners are announced in September. And I would just love for our little podcast to be a people's choice. That would just make my little heart soar and grow three sizes bigger. So listen, it means the world to us that you tune in and listen every single week. So thanks a million for your vote and for all your love and support of this show. We have the best listeners on earth. Let's talk about your new book. You've got a brand new book out, Kind is the New Classy, which is such a great title. Kind is the New Classy, The Power of Living Graciously. These are all words that I treasure. Like these are, these are the building blocks of my entire life as everything you put into that title. And I love something that you said about this, this concept of being kind and living graciously. You said, what if we decided to turn the tables on our outrage culture and work toward a kindness culture instead? I just, that hit me like a ton of bricks because you are right. This outrage outrage culture is real and active and living. And it feels like we've all been given this sort of permission to just take the gloves off and duke it out. Say anything we want to anybody who disagrees with us or that we don't understand or be just mean spirited in nature and all these hot takes all the time. Right. Um, and so what do you think, cause you've just written a whole book on it. What do you think are the steps to diffuse this very polarizing outrage culture and instill some kindness back into our world back into our cultural dialogue and that specifically, and then even more so, how do we help our kids not to be led into this very antagonistic way of communicating and be kind instead? Yeah, it's a big, it's a big task. It is a <laughs> I big get task. thinking about it. And I will tell you, I think as wonderful as social media and the internet in and of itself has has been in making a very big world seem very small because it's connected us all. I mean, there's so many wonderful things from it, 
But at the same time, I believe it's one of the biggest reasons why people feel so emboldened to say whatever they want hmm. because their faces don't have to be seen. That's right. And they don't, ha- they can turn off any repercussions from it just by clicking off their computer or their phone. Yeah. And we are all learning this together because this is, this is new for all right. of us. And yet if we as parents are learning it for our children, we're, go- we're experience- experiencing at the same time as them. And we don't quite know how to handle it. And it really isn't mm-hmm. going to be until our children are adults that they will probably have a much better sense of how to deal with their mm. children. So we're kind of the mm. guinea pigs. And I really believe that it's going to start with us. And if, because as a, our, we are our children's biggest role models, they will mimic what they see at home and in front of them every day. So when we are reacting outrageously, when we right. are overreacting with our emotions and we are being snarky mm. on social media or commenting, they're going to follow in our footsteps and then do it twice as big because that's just right. what happens. And so we, we as parents really need to understand where we're at with all of this and start to change, change within, our, within ourselves so that we can change the culture. And ultimately, mm. that's how our children will model different behavior or not, hopefully not follow in the footsteps. So, um, so it's, Hmm. it's going to be tough, but the way, the way I hope that we will, will change our outrage culture and bring it back to a kindness culture is by thinking of others before we think of ourselves. And it kind of goes back to what I talked about with my mom. My mom always found the opportunity to bless others through whatever we were doing in our lives. And we have to know that that's, if when we start thinking about others first, it will, it makes mm-hmm. differences and kindness. I mean, it's a, it's a scientifically proven fact. Uh, kindness has a ripple effect. And when someone makes you feel good, you will have, you'll be happier and you will probably make someone else feel good just mm. by responding in kindness because someone made you feel good before that. Mm. Um, and, and in the same way, negativity breeds negativity. When you have an angry person, it makes you angry and you keep passing it along. But just realize we can pass along kindness. And when we do something as easy as say, hey, have a great day, or we look mm. someone in the eye and say, hey, do you need anything? Can mm. I help you with that? It makes a difference. And it's going to just take small steps. And if I just want to bring the spotlight back on kindness as a reminder to everyone that it's all, we all have it within us and it's Mm -hmm. a choice that we get to make every single day. I like that. That's very liberating um, to think about turning the tides in small ways. Um, because it, it does feel overwhelming when you think about outrage culture in its entirety, but when you mm-hmm. can think about it down like that, just in this, the daily minutia of life's interactions, that feels doable. That feels like something yeah. we can grab onto that we can model. You know, I was thinking about what you were just saying in terms of negativity, breeding negativity. And a few months ago, I realized that I was just mad all the time. <laughs> Like I am Uh angry. I am a furious person. I hate everybody. I'm not even sure I like God anymore. I don't, I don't want to do this work. And I'm like, wow, I'm slipping off the rails and I probably ought to get a handle on this. And I realized that I was just listening to so much outrage and it breeds Mm -hmm. outrage. So, you know, I was in this sort of online culture of just so much anger and so much shouting and so much sort of mean spirited jabbing and it was affecting me. And so I sort of went on this major unfollow campaign just to kind of clear the clutter. And it it literally made me feel different. I, I optimism started rebounding and I started noticing good and wonderful things again. And everything you're saying is positively true. I'm curious how specifically with this internet situation that we're trying to figure out that our kids are going to positively do better at than we are. Um, how do you respond to criticism? 
Like how, how do you respond to people who maybe insult you or disparage you or your family? Oh my gosh. Um, so in other words, how do you deal with this? And what do you see is the difference between being kind and being a pushover? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So Sadly, I have pretty thick skin when it comes to criticism online because I get a lot of it. And I really learned to just let most of it roll off my back. And it's really easy just to remind yourself that most people that are angry and rude Mm. and mean or bully, it means they're hurting. Mm. They have things going on in their life that have made them that way. And they're, they just want to bring people down with them because they're so, there's so much hurt going on inside of them. Mm. And it's, I, so I'll often remind myself of that. And that then gives me empathy mm. or compassion to go, oh, how sad, like how awful must it be to be them, to be angry? So I, maybe I can, maybe I can help them and say a kind word to them that nobody does because they, they only say mean things Mm. and, and it's very easy to, to give it back. And so, um, and that's normally why it's easy. It's, it's easy to start saying positive things back or making more kind and classy comments back. And also it, it doesn't fuel the fire. That's the biggest thing. And that's what I teach my kids. I'm like, listen, take the high road, kill them with kindness And if you don't engage with them, they'll usually walk away because they're trying to get a reaction out of you. And if you give it back, they're going to keep going because they want attention because they're missing something in their life. Mm. And they're trying to seek it online, even though it's in a negative way. I, I will just say, I know not depending on the age of your kids and, and also what's available to you, but my kids just in their high school years, they've all gone to camp at, over the summer. And mm-hmm. I, my kids never went to camp uh, young, but they've gone for two weeks and up to four weeks. Mm-hmm. And they don't have their cell phones mm-hmm. for those two to four mm-hmm. weeks at camp. They have to drop them off at the front. And I cannot tell you what a difference it makes when they come back from camp hmm. without those cell phones. I mean, my 16-year-old son said to me last summer, he goes, Mom, not having that my phone was like, and not ha- letting anybody have their phones was the best thing that I've seen because we all talk to each totally. other. We all engage. And he said, you know, I realized that I don't always know how to talk or ask questions to people because everyone just gets on their phone. If they're uncomfortable or it's awkward for a a silent minute, everyone just gets on their phone. He goes, but it forced us all to talk and it was so great. And that's also as parents, we have to remind ourselves, like we have to teach our children to have face-to-face conversations. Otherwise it's not going to get better. Isn't that crazy? Can you, in our wildest imaginations, would we, would you ever have thought we'd be sitting here having to tell one another, we've got to teach our kids how to talk to people. And I mean, the cell phone culture is, it has changed us, our whole society in one generation. It is bananas. And you are so right. I think that is fabulous advice and good for our minds and our hearts and our families and our relationships. Just freaking unplug sometimes. Um, I'm always telling my kids that be with the ones who are here and collecting phones at the dinner table and just, we can do it for one hour, you guys. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. One last question. This is a complete aside, but obviously a ton of us are huge Dancing with the Stars fans. Uh Um, And so I think this was a pretty good experience for you, right? You even ended up writing a book about it because of the lessons and the the discipline of the show. Oh my gosh, such discipline Um, and competing. So just give us your favorite, your one favorite story about the season and why you loved it. Oh, goodness. 
Maybe a favorite memory, a favorite moment, something that you loved or learned. <laughs> My favorite moment was when they announced that I won third place because it meant it was over. <laughs> That's it amazing. Was like the best experience, but man, it was the hardest experience and it took so much courage. I literally, mm. I'm not kidding, wanted to vomit before every live show because I was I, I was you. so nervous and sick to my stomach and frightened, but I grew so much, which is why I wrote a book about it. It was, yeah. it challenged me like nothing else has in my life and mm-hmm. has made me accept fear a lot easier in the sense that I'm like, Oh, I got through that. And it was so scary. And now I'm like going through my bucket list in life. I'm like, I'm 42. (laughs) I've got a bunch of things I want to do. And I'm going to just start checking them off because I know even if I fail, I can at least say I tried and I'm not quite as scared to just take the leap of faith. That's amazing. I (laughs) love that. And it actually feels utterly terrifying to do that, to dance (laughs) when you don't have, you're not a dancer, you don't have a dance background and it's just going to be on national TV. And it's also a hugely popular show with millions of viewers. No big deal. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that you went for it. Um, okay. So these are just the quick, like rapid fire wrap up questions here, um, that we're using to sort of close out the series. And here's the first one. It's just the first one that comes to your mind. Um, tell us something that your parents used to say to you that you swore you were not going to say to your own kids, but you do. <laughs> just wait until you're a parent. <laughs> <laughs> I do see why I say that. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so, it's so easy to reach for it. All those parentisms. Okay. How about this one? Tell us what you would consider one of your biggest parenting fails. One of your not so proud moments and one of your most treasured moments of like, ah, oh, I love parenting. This was a good parenting day. Oh, mm-hmm, oh that's hard. Um, honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is having missed some of my kids' birthdays because I was Uh, out of town working. I don't think I'm ever going to get over that guilt. And for the fact that one of my children reminds me that I've missed two of his, just not to be there on that day. (laughs) It's not like I wasn't there for the birthday party that was on the weekend that followed, but I just, that day I had to work. I'll never get over it. Same here. And, um, parenting moments, Oh, well, obviously you read one of them. That letter from them was pretty incredible. And I've had some, some very heartfelt moments with my, my daughter, Natasha, Mm. that have made me say the same thing. Like, wow, she's been listening and she got it. it. And, uh, yes, we've had some of those conversations and, um, I can't leave my, my baby Max out because the fact that he just, will cuddle with me and mm. lets me hug him. And he, he's bigger than my husband. My baby's the right. biggest in our whole family, six <laughs> feet tall and just like right. a huge teddy bear. And when he just sinks into me, that for me oh. is like the best mom moment ever. Totally. It's too much. It's too good. You know, I have uh, most of my kids are teens and I have a 20 year old. So the big kids are amazing, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know, but <laughs> now I know oh, I'm a big kid mom. That's what I love. I like them yep. big and older yep. and wonderful and smart. Yep. Okay. Last one. We ask every single guest on the podcast, this question, um, at the end of every episode. And it was, I don't know if you've ever read Barbara Brown Taylor, but she gave us this question in one of her books. Um, and, and it can be anything. It can be, this can be a big answer or a small answer, or it could be serious or it could be silly. It could literally be whatever it is. So here's the question. What is saving your life right now? Um, that could come from any different aspect, but (laughs) some people have have said chapstick. So I'm just saying it can run the gamut. My uh, microblading has literally (laughs) saved my life because to wake up and have to paint eyebrows on every morning and I don't have to do that anymore. I can't even tell you that. I don't know why I didn't do it years ago because it has saved my life. Listen, I am not kidding you. I have a tab open on my computer right this minute about microblading. <laughs> I just have to, I have to color them in every yep. single day and they're disappearing by the minute. Yep. Me too. And I did okay. it and they're amazing. And I, Best. like you need to run right now to okay. your 
right. microblader and do it. <laughs> From Candace's mouth. I mean, microblading, best answer ever. Um, listen, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. I, You just dropped so much wisdom in one hour that I'm going to have to go back and read the transcript just to pick it all up. Thank Aww. you for making time for this. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for setting such a good example for those of us watching you and following you. I'm just really proud of who you are and how you're living your life, your beautiful family. So um, thank you so much for investing in my listeners for an hour. I'm telling you, they're going to go bananas for this episode. And so um, we're cheering you on over here from the For the Love family. I promise you that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks, Candice. Okay. Bye. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Candace is just very dear. She's just darling and delightful and charming and wise. And I just found that so energizing, that conversation. And anyway, I'm just tickled to death that she joined us on the show. Um, I'm going to have all the information you need about her new book, about her website, about all the things that she is up to and working on and where you can find her over on my website at jenhatmaker.com underneath the podcast tab, where we'll also have this transcript. I hope you guys are making good use of the transcript page. It is an amazing resource. Any interview that you're interested in that you really like, we've got the whole thing written out. We have bonus materials. We have pictures. We have links. We have book icons. Literally, it's chock full of stuff for you. So um, my amazing assistant, Amanda, spends a ton of time putting that resource together for you. And I hope that you are using it. So um, thank you guys for listening week in and week out. Thank you for subscribing to this podcast. Also, thank you for all your amazing reviews and ratings. Those matter. Those are helpful. Those are so great for podcasts. And I am really grateful that you take the time to do that. Thanks for giving us all these amazing ideas. By the way, this whole series, was requested and suggested by our listeners um, for the love of parenting. And we have so much more to come. Um, So many parents that you are going to learn from and love and enjoy and identify with. So be sure to come back next week um, and we're going to have another amazing show. So everybody have a great day and I'll see you next week. Hey guys. We're back for another segment of Jen's Favorite Things. So this is the part of the show where I share about some wonderful companies that are producing amazing products and giving back to charitable organizations and really worthy nonprofits. Plus, they have exclusive discounts and extras just for you, our podcast listeners. So here are today's favorites. Guys, Elaine Turner is a fellow Texan and fashion designer who has been called the Houston handbag queen. So not only does she have gorgeous purses, she's got the cutest clothes and shoes as well. So I wore one of her Laney dresses to my son's graduation. You may have seen it. I've actually worn it everywhere. Check out ElaineTurner.com. And just for our listeners, when you check out, use the code FORTHELOVE20 to get 20% off your whole first purchase. That's for the love 20 at elaineturner.com. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.